0: If you're working in the wedding industry, you need to evolve. If you're not evolving, you're not going to be successful because we're in the business of people and at some point you're going to be left behind.
1: Marriage equality has fundamentally changed the way that we view, celebrate and affirm the union of marriage. My name is Hank Paul and I'm a wedding photographer based in Sydney, Australia. For the next four episodes, I will take a look at some of the history of marriage equality through the lens of my fellow queer wedding professionals, the highs and lows of working in an evolving industry, and I will attempt to answer the question, what does the future of our industry look like? You're listening to First Look, how marriage equality is transforming the wedding industry. Love. It's priceless. Yet as humans often do with priceless things, we've managed to put a value on what it costs to celebrate love. Before the COVID-19 pandemic, the global wedding industry was valued at over $300 billion. And this is set to surpass $400 billion by 2030. To give you a sense of how much that is, it's almost as big as the global coffee market. Of course, for the longest time, the wedding industry by its very legal definition excluded a whole group of people, the queer community, my queer community. Beginning in the Netherlands in 2001, 30 countries around the world and counting have legally recognized marriage equality at a national level. With a global movement towards inclusion, I wanted to look at what impact marriage equality was having on the wedding industry and what the future of the industry might look like in a world committed to inclusion. I've been a wedding photographer for the last 10 years And in that time, I have personally experienced the impact that marriage equality has had, not only on my business, but as a queer person and a member of the queer community. With Gen Z now our queerest generation yet, in 10 years time, one in five weddings will be queer. And whilst rapid growth in the wedding industry can't be attributed entirely to marriage equality, it would be naive to think that it wasn't a significant factor. To celebrate Pride Month, I've sat down with some of the industry's most well-known queer leaders, who, in my opinion, are trailblazers set to leave a legacy that changes how we celebrate weddings forever. In this first episode, I want to explore what marriage is through the eyes of these industry leaders. And I want to ask why. Why is it important for LGBTQ people to be given the same rights and opportunities to marry?
2: Go ahead. Okay, sure. Um, I am Kirsten Palladino. My pronouns are she, they, and I am co-founder and editorial director of Equally Wed magazine.
3: And I am Maria Palladino. My pronouns are she, they, and I
1: am a co-founder and creative director of Equally Wed. In 2009, Kirsten and Maria Palladino founded Equally Wed, an inclusive wedding magazine, book, and book and education resource for LGBTQ plus couples and wedding professionals. These days, they spend their entire professional lives devoted to serving queer couples who are planning their wedding. When I sat down to interview them, I wanted to hear about their early days and how they became a couple. They met at a time when the idea of marriage equality wasn't even on the radar for most people. Instead, everyone was shaking it like a Polaroid picture thanks to OutKast's number one song, Hey Ya. Let's go back to 2003. Here's Kirsten.
2: We both were living in Atlanta at the time, and neither of us had been living in Atlanta for a long time. We were both part of the going out nightclub scene. We were in our earlier, early 20s, and I think it's really important to recognize for the LGBTQ plus community, that's where we find our people um, because there are queer clubs and there are um and and clubs specifically dedicated just to um you know female identified people for for certain nights etc so um i
1: know it sounds crazy to say now as we've gotten older that's kirsten's wife maria chiming in yeah we had you know there was the ladies nights at
3: the the country two-stepping bar on a thursday night then there was the one more like pop rb kind of club on friday nights where a lot of the women went to or yeah, however anybody was identifying and then Saturday kind of a mix at another club bar Or, or the, and so there were yeah. often times that we were you know hanging out with friends and getting together and going to those safe spaces
1: um, where, where you were finding your friends but you were also finding potentially people you were dating as well. Mm-hmm. And so it was in this queer clubbing scene that Kirsten and Maria met for the first time.
2: The summer of 2003 I was just dating somebody really casually and I saw Maria at The two-stepping country western bar on ladies night and i um i spotted maria because maria was part of there was someone in maria's circle who was dating someone in my friends friendship circle and i thought oh my gosh she's so hot she must have somebody from out of state like she couldn't possibly be single and maria thought that i was whoever i was you know sort of dating was someone i'd been in a serious relationship with for years So we both had misconceptions about the other.
1: The weeks and the months passed by, and Kirsten and Maria continued to bump into each other at the clubs and through their mixed social circles. One night, Kirsten finally worked up the courage to say something.
2: Uh, We were out at the same club one night, and I went up to Maria's friend and said, Is Maria dating anyone? And her friend lied to me and said no. But behind my head, Maria was pointing to... um, to me, uh, and mouthing to her friend, you're talking to Kirsten. So she was excited to see me talking, you know, um, uh, to her friend. But anyway, um, so yeah, her friend totally told me a lie. Maria was dating uh, and talking to several women. Not really, yeah, just yeah. like... <laughs> and, and so, but I would never have asked her out if I had known that there was competition. I'm not very competitive. So I asked her out, and uh, and then we started dating. A month later, Maria asked me to be her girlfriend, And we've been together for almost 18 years now. Or uh, definitely 18 years. 18 (laughs) years plus.
1: Yeah. Eventually, Kirsten and Maria got married. And as I said, they've been together for 18 years plus. That is a long time. And that's what marriage is about. It's love and commitment. Loving someone so much that you want to spend the rest of your life with them. But marriage is more than just that beautiful, emotive idea of commitment. It's a genuine union of two people, and it affords them certain rights and benefits in society.
4: So my name is Tara. My pronouns are she, her, and I'm a wedding publisher, I guess, at the end of the day.
1: I spoke with Tara Baker, who, along with her fiancé, Alia, founded the world's first lesbian wedding magazine, Dancing With Her. Before marriage equality was recognised in Australia, Tara and Alia experienced firsthand just how hard it was to navigate a personal crisis without the legal recognition of being partners in life. A few years ago, they went on a holiday together to Rottnest Island, which is off the coast of Western Australia.
4: This is like a little island. There aren't any cars or anything like that on the island. You ride push bikes everywhere.
1: Inevitably, the conversation about marriage came up.
4: We'd been riding around watching the sunset. We'd had a beautiful picnic on the beach where we decided that we wanted to elope and we wanted to get married and we started dreaming about what that would look like. And we were there until quite late. It was quite dark and we were riding back to where we were staying for the night. And as we were riding back, Alia came around a a corner and instead of going around the corner, Alia went um, over a ledge. So she fell about two meters headfirst into concrete. I couldn't tell you how long any of this happened. It's really like a big blur, um, but it, I did. I was yelling for help. And I could hear somebody in the background. I could hear a group of people. Um, and so I think I got their attention eventually, and they came over. Thankfully, they knew where the nurse on the island lived, and so they went around there, knocked on her door, woke her up, um, and she came around in an ambulance.
1: Alia needed to be sedated and airlifted off the island in the middle of the night. But Tara wasn't allowed to go with her. Instead, she would have to wait until the next morning and catch the first boat back.
4: I had called the hospital to ask how she was going. And they said, I can't tell you anything because you're not family. And they said, but I'm on all the paperwork. I've just written myself down. Like, we had literally probably two hours before had a conversation with each other and said that we wanted to get married um, and that we were going to
1: elope. Alia went into brain surgery for five hours. Meanwhile, Tara eventually was able to make it to the hospital. But when she arrived, she was met with some resistance.
4: When I told them who I was, that I was Alia's partner, it was usually met with a lot of confusion. Um, For the most part, doctors were very dismissive of our relationship. I was consistently called her sister all the time. I was refused information because I wasn't family, even though, you know, in our eyes, we were family. She was my partner. The whole time, all I had in my head was that if we were a heterosexual couple, I really thought that that would have been a different experience. I think that I would have been taken seriously and eventually her family flew over so that we were all there. But. You know, there were some really tough conversations that needed to happen during that week. We had to have conversations about when the time to turn off life support would come because there was a chance that, you know, she wasn't going to pull through any of this. They couldn't tell us what was going to be the outcome. We had to have conversations around people with these types of injuries often wake up and not remember periods of their life. And so there was a chance that she would wake up and not know who I was. Um, And so we had to have conversations around what that would look like, um, you know, what her care after the injury would look like as well. And just during that period, I think I felt like I wasn't really a part of those conversations. Like I didn't have a valid opinion, even though, you know, we were in a committed relationship. We, we just wanted, you know, had that conversation about getting married. And so, To me, in that moment, this was like my life, like what was happening. But I think from the outside, it was, you know, people not taking me seriously or anything like that. It was during that week that I was like, if we were married, this would be a different thing. And I knew that it wasn't legal and that was a whole different thing. But I was like, this is something that we should work towards.
1: A week later, defying all expectations, Alia was able to come out of her coma safely. And the first thing that she did was ask about Tara.
4: She woke up and asked where I was immediately, which was like a sigh of relief.
1: Alia now lives with a traumatic brain injury, an invisible disability.
4: There are things that Alia can and can't do. You know, after the injury, it's probably taken probably, oh gosh, more than five years to get back to her being in a place where she could even work. It's been a really long journey, but she's... You know, we're incredibly lucky with where she's at. Um, For the most part, most people wouldn't have any idea that, you know, that's a part of our story. Yeah, she's just got a really cool scar on the side of her head that's half of her head (laughs) with hundreds of uh, staple marks.
2: (laughs)
1: Alia and Tara are parents now, and their business is going from strength to strength.
4: She's lucky and she's an incredible parent now and has a fulfilled life. So we're very, very, very lucky.
1: Since launching Dancing With Her, Tara and Alia have also launched a sibling publication Dancing With Them, which celebrates all queer weddings and love stories. Just like Kirsten and Maria's equally wed, Tara and Alia's publications have been pivotal in the evolution of the wedding industry and the visibility of LGBTQ weddings in society. I can't understate just how important this visibility has been for the acceptance of queer love and marriage equality amongst the general public. Additionally, these outlets have created a platform where wedding vendors are able to find commercial success by authentically speaking to a queer audience. I want to introduce you to one of those wedding vendors who has found such success. Tia, maybe do you want to just give a quick introduction?
3: Sure. My name is Tia Nash. My pronouns are they, them. I am a queer wedding photographer and business coach based out of New Orleans, Louisiana.
1: Tia is a non-binary photographer who spends much of their time advocating for greater visibility and inclusion of LGBTQ plus couples in the wedding world. It all started when Tia and their wife got engaged.
3: It was 2015. So same-sex marriage was like illegal. It was legal in some states. We could have gone other places around the U.S. and like been married, but we couldn't get married here in Louisiana. Cause Louisiana is like very much a red state. I live in like a very liberal little city within like Bible belty type place. Um, so like same sex marriage was definitely illegal when we got engaged. Um, but we knew that the Supreme court was like making a decision that year, whether or not they were going to legalize it. They ended up legalizing it like three weeks after we got engaged. So like timing worked out really, really well. But just that feeling of like, okay, we're engaged, we're so excited, but we don't even want to tell anyone because we could find out within the next three weeks that we can't actually get married. Um, So we just like kept it secret for a long time.
1: We're going to take a closer look at the US Supreme Court decision in the next episode. But what you need to know for the moment is that once the decision was handed down, marriage equality was legalized in all 50 states of America, including Louisiana. Once this happened... Tia and their fiancé Steph finally got the push they needed to start planning their wedding. So, like all couples, they began to reach out to some wedding vendors.
3: Nobody had queer couples on their pages. Like no one was really talking about queer couples because it was so freshly legal. Like, granted, there were people who were working with same-sex couples, like with queer couples. And granted, I really don't like the term "same-sex" as like a blanket term for anything. Um, but it was the language used in that Supreme Court case. So, like, when retelling the story, I use that
1: language for that purpose. I want to take a moment to unpack what Tia's just said about the use of language. In most articles that I could find talking about marriage legislation, the term same-sex marriage is the most frequent term used. But the distinction between sex and gender is really important here. Most marriage equality advocates were and are campaigning for the right to marry any person, regardless of gender. So perhaps same-gender is more accurate than same-sex. but any gender marriage would actually be the most accurate language. My preference to use the term marriage equality stems from the idea that the rights are afforded to all people, regardless of their sex or gender, whether it's the same or different. There are some other language choices that are important to talk about in regards to the legal recognition of people's marriages. Kirsten, who we heard from at the start of the episode, says more.
2: It, it might sound silly. I'm an... I'm... English major, but um, I don't know. These word choices matter. As the editor of Equally Wed, um, I've always insisted that we use the phrasing if we want to talk about whether a marriage was legally recognized or not. We say "legally recognized," not "they had a legal wedding" or "they're legally wed." Uh, and the reason is because, you know, for us, we were we were going to get married when it was right for us. We wanted to get married before we tried to start having children before we uh, bought our first house together we We wanted to do things in the order of which felt natural and, and right for us and so when we were going to get married, our state wasn't on our side. But it wasn't going to stop us from getting married. It just wasn't legally recognized. We got married in June 2009, felt very obviously wonderful and very exciting. And then when it did become legally recognized in New York uh, in August 2011, we flew there and had a um, a marriage ceremony in the courthouse and had basically had our marriage legally recognized. I was I was knocked over with how much emotion I felt between having our marriage legally recognized by the court of law in New York. Somebody thought that we were worthy enough citizens to write it down in a book to record us in history as as people who were committed to one another. At, It was just incredible that our LGBTQ plus ancestors didn't have that luxury. And so uh, it felt very validating.
1: What the state says matters. And the language that we use matters because it validates our existence and our love. When governments uphold exclusionary laws, when people use exclusionary language, the messaging that queer couples receive is that who they are and who they love is wrong.
5: Uh, my name is Kelly Bulch. Uh, my pronouns are he, she, they, them, he, him. Doesn't matter. To me, at least.
1: Kelly Bulch is also a non-binary wedding photographer based in LA. When we were chatting, Kelly told me this story.
5: There was one couple that it basically, like, they both ran away from home. It was so secretive. They called me and, and I was just so excited because they were, I mean, I had queer friends, but this was one, one of my first queer clients. And they were just like, we're going to be going out into this field. And it was in Santa Barbara. And we we're going to just like say our vows to one another. Um, and they said, we don't have an officiant yet. We don't have anybody, but you're basically going to be our witness. And I was just like, I started bawling. <laughs> I started bawling. And I was just like, I am, can't wait. I'm so honored. And we were both like, again, we realized the, the gravity of the situation of just like, this is still illegal and I can't believe it's, you know, this is necessary. I felt like we were back in, you know, medieval times of just like running away and having just to share this ceremony.
1: Running away because the world doesn't accept who you've chosen to marry? Kelly's right. That stuff sounds like it's out of the medieval times or a Shakespeare play. In this episode, we've looked at some of the meanings of marriage, and why someone would feel the need to run away and do it without telling anyone. It's a union between two people committed to loving each other for life. But when that commitment is legally recognised, it affords the couple certain rights, which is especially important in moments of crisis. It wasn't that long ago that I photographed my first queer wedding. Shortly after marriage equality was legalised in Australia... I was fortunate enough to be hired by two incredible women who had fallen in love. At the time, I never pictured myself being married to someone else. I was raised in an environment that fed me a single narrative of what a married couple looks like, and I'd had very little exposure to what queer couples and queer relationships looked like. This one wedding changed everything for me. For the first time in my life, I not only was documenting beautiful love... I was shown what a real queer relationship looked like. And I watched on as these two women publicly announced their devotion and commitment to each other in front of their family and friends. They were proud of who they were, and they were excited to celebrate their love with their whole community. And for the first time in my life, I wanted that too. The photos from that wedding were featured in a few publications, and from there my career trajectory changed. Couples straight and queer were coming to me and mentioning how they saw those photos and that they made them feel something, and that they were looking for those same feelings in their photos. I started to approach posing differently, I rewrote my entire website to be more inclusive of queer couples, and I learned to see each of my clients for what made them unique rather than trying to fit them into a cookie-cutter mould. Ultimately, my wedding business evolved to a point where it no longer looks the same as it was five years ago. But the change didn't happen overnight. And I certainly didn't get everything right. But I saw the potential within my business and I wanted to be ready for a future of more inclusive weddings. Jason Ree is a wedding planner and queer activist. He told me about a movie that was hugely influential on him and part of the reason why he joined the wedding industry.
0: A film that I actually became a wedding planner for was The Wedding Planner. I watched The Wedding Planner with Jennifer Lopez and Matthew McConaughey and it was like my favorite movie and I realized that doing the timeline, that was the movie that really kind of inspired me to become a planner. So that really, that movie is a really good example of what weddings were in prior to, I think, marriage equality. You know, I think it was predominantly white and it was very heterosexual.
1: Jason saw what was wrong with the wedding industry as depicted in this movie. But rather than just accepting it as a status quo, he sees an opportunity to learn from it and challenges others to do the same.
0: I've, I watched it again because I, I, I do love it. But when I watch it again, it's so problematic. There's racist jokes in it, ableist jokes in it. There's just a lot of different things that we didn't even notice. And so now that when we look back on it, I think we just kind of are now, again, evolving. And the hope is if you're working in the wedding industry you need to evolve. If you're not evolving, you're not going to be successful because we're in the
1: business of people, and at some point, you're going to be left behind. So how does the wedding industry evolve? Next time on First Look, we look at some of the early days of marriage equality.
5: I just got chills when you asked me that.
1: And she said, LaToya, actually, they said that you were great
3: and they would have booked with you, but they couldn't book with you because you marry same-sex couples. And it just said, like, same-sex marriage legal in 50 states. And I remember, like, just starting to cry, (laughs) just, like, alone in um, this coffee shop in the airport.
1: First Look is written, recorded, and produced by me, Hank Paul. A big thanks to everyone who jumped on the microphone. I'm honored to share and preserve these stories. Special thanks to my brother, Josh Paul, who helped push me to the finish line and provided some really great input along the way. If you liked this podcast, you can support me by writing a review, subscribing, or simply screenshotting your podcast player right now and sharing on Instagram. You can tag me at hankpaul.co. I would love to connect. And if you want more content or you just want to support the show, you can head over to www.firstlookpodcast.com and sign up for VIP access, where you can pay what you want and listen to all of the interviews I conducted for the series completely unedited. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. First Look is brought to you by Queer Wedding Ally Training. In 10 years time, one out of five weddings will be queer. The queer wave is coming. And with that, the people who work in the wedding industry need to adapt. If you're not offering an inclusive experience for all couples, your business is going to get left behind. Queer Wedding Ally Training will give you the tools that you need to be a better ally in just seven days. You'll learn the fundamentals of queer inclusive language, how to create a welcoming environment without feeling awkward or tokenistic, and how to stay relevant in a fast-changing industry. You'll gain access to four video modules, plus a bunch of bonuses, including the all-new bonus audio training, three proven strategies to book more queer weddings. For more information and how to sign up, head to www.queerweddingallies.com. That's queerweddingallies.com.